Welcome to Medicus the Podcast, the show where we shine a light on the scientists whose discoveries are shaping our future. And in this episode, we're talking to two scientists about the perfect collaboration. Modern translational science is a team effort that brings together a whole variety of people, all with the same goal, to make a difference to the world. And these collaborations are at their most successful when it is not just the expertise that is complementary, but when things just kind of click between everyone. And in this episode, two researchers who worked on a project that could make a significant impact on the lives of patients with chronic myeloid leukemia tell us how in this project, everything, even a pandemic lockdown, helped make things, well, click. Hello, my name is Vaidehi. I've been uh, working in, in this institute since the past six years and moved to Singapore about 20 years back. Vaidehi started her research career at a large cancer center in India, working on cancer biology while overlooking the crowds of people who came to seek treatment. From there, she spent time in Hong Kong and Singapore working on model systems like yeast. But she always wanted to pursue research that would touch the lives of patients. When I got the opportunity of actually joining Tiong, who was uh, profiling the bone, as bone marrow aspirates of patients using these uh, modern technologies, I thought that was a good opportunity for me to do something that's very translational and likely to have immediate impact. And as part of that work, she got to collaborate with a bioinformatician. Hello, my name is Florian. I am um, from Germany, living in Singapore for six years, working here in computational biology. We decided to specialize in bioinformatics long before the field was as sought after as it is today, simply because he loved math, computers, and biology. I did think about doing medicine, but um, I felt, you know, when you're a clinician, you can maybe help a handful of patients a day. Um, but with bioinformatics, if you come up with some clinical test that can maybe help hundreds of patients in, in, one, in one go. Uh, so I felt the potential impact can be really, really strong there, um, which was also one motivation why I felt, okay, I think bioinformatics can be a good long-term approach to actually really help many people. Working together with clinician scientists, Florian and Vaidehi had set themselves an ambitious goal. They wanted to change the treatment course for patients with chronic myeloid leukemia, a type of blood cancer, so that those patients whose leukemia will not respond to current therapies can be offered a bone marrow transplant during the early stages of their illness, rather than as a last resort when all other options have been exhausted and their illness is already in its advanced stages. In this work, we're trying to employ uh, single-cell approaches. This is, these are uh, new uh, technologies where we can uh, study one cell at a time in a very uh, detailed manner. And we're trying to uh, use these technologies to understand if um, we can predict how patients respond to treatment on the day of diagnosis. And although chronic myeloid leukemia has been extensively studied, with this project, the two really pushed the envelope because Nobody had really looked at the molecular features of the entire cocktail of cells in a patient's bone marrow for clues as to how they might progress. And secondly, large-scale single-cell studies were still quite new at the time. Because it was still, I would say, early days in lar larger single-cell studies. Um, so we had to fight a bit with infrastructure to get things going. Um, algorithms were not actually there yet uh, for some of the data. So for instance, we had single-cell ataxic data in this project, which we actually never even looked at for this particular paper because back then when we started the project, there was no really established way to look at this data actually. So we just focused on the transcriptomics part from the single-cell genomics. 
And as with anything new, there was a lot of back and forth to make sure that their method was correct and that their quality control was top-notch. Because biology can be messy and the pair wanted to be absolutely sure that what they picked up did matter and was not just background chatter. So there was a lot of uh, conversation on good quality control, on how to label all the cell types. So one thing which you observe, especially in cancer, is that um, different um, donors or different patients, they can have very distinct signatures. Um, and sometimes it's very hard to make sense of those and to say, okay, um, this patient has a lot of cells express, expressing gene X and Y, um, but still those cells maybe are CD8T cells, but just they behave so different from those from a different patient. Um, and that gave us a lot of headache to figure out, okay, how to label this, how to make sense of it, um, to do robust downstream analysis to find markers that could actually generalize across all the different patients. So in a way, this project was like being the first explorers on the moon, charting a whole new territory. But going in without any idea of what they would find on the molecular level turned out to be an advantage. So when we started this project, we didn't have any hypothesis that drove us towards certain cell types. We went entirely in a data-driven manner. We used to have a month of T cell and then a month of B cell and a few months of stem cells. And each time we would wonder if, are we going to find any signatures in this cell type? Or are we going to find it in this cell type? So it was a very um, exploratory and uh, I would say very interesting and exciting journey for us as we were uncovering uh, the transcriptome of each cell type. And that meant learning a lot of new things every day. This was a new field for me. Although I have been in science for, for a long time, this whole field of hematology was quite new to me. And then bioinformatics was new to me. And then single cell technologies was new to me. So every day at that time, I would just uh, you know, sign up for some course and then learn about all these uh, you know, new technologies, new cell types that you know, Florian was passing us. So uh, I think this project, I, it's very close to my heart because I, uh, more than anything else, I think I enjoyed the whole process of working with all these people and working on a very important clinical question. But the other important part, and what made this project click so well for these two, was that everyone trusted each other and was open to trying new things. One good thing was that um that now I talk a bit from the computation person side, that all the wet lab people involved in this, or all the clinicians, they were very open for all the machine learning and bioinformatics things. So, so that was important because that actually gave us the room to try things and to come up with hypotheses that would get tested. Um, so, so that gave us actually the, the chance to do all the things that we mm. did. And straddling both biology and informatics meant that he could serve as a bridge between the computer magic and the science. And that gave the two scientists a lot to talk about especially during lockdown. We had this funny story that uh, in our WhatsApp suggestions, we were both always our number one hit. <laughs> so there was a lot of conversation going on. If you, if you really want to see uh, something that's good about being in a lockdown, it's just that you also become very focused because you don't have anything else to do. You're basically locked up with the yeah. data that you are only staring at it all the time. So, I mean, that's something that's, that's probably needed sometimes in projects, right? You need to have the drive to look in a certain direction in a very focused manner without getting distracted. And I think the lockdown helped in that manner. I think our both bosses were quite um, happy to trust us doing all these things. Like, I think we had a lot of conversation, just the two of us, um, and people knew, oh, they will know what they do, uh, let them do their, their thing. And um, yeah, that, that also helped because one could feel that, okay, they trust us in how we do this, uh, despite the situation was quite unique and new for everyone. But despite their many shared interests and the benefits of a lockdown during a project's key moments, 
The pair have quite different strategies for unwinding. Florian, for example, likes to get away from science to help him feel re-energized when he comes back. So I teach yoga on the side. Um, I'm a quite passionate yogi, actually. I think it's um, very important that people you know, keep body and mind well connected. And um, I think everybody wants to reach their toes when they get old, to tie the shoelace <laughs> and all these things. I think it's very important to not forget all this uh, while working. Um, on the other side, I also um, work in the model train shop, which is also very different. I always like to have um, my brain busy with different things. I feel it helps creativity, for me at least. And I had to ask him what the most sought-after train is. The most sought-after items are Hello Kitty Shinkansen from oh. Japan. Um, so this is like, everybody loves those. It's very interesting. Yeah. I was very surprised. For, for Germans, this is like, mm, okay, but they're here, this is like, oh, it's the must-have. Vaidehi, on the other hand, finds that she unwinds best immersed in the world and words of science. I love reading about um, scientists and how they have made all those discoveries and that somehow makes me appreciate better the science itself and what kind of problems they went through, how they overcame it. So I like to read um, about Nobel laureates and uh, you know their lives and their journeys. It's something that makes me feel happy. But even these different ways of unwinding never got in the way during this project. I saw a lot of um, chance in making this a story where you have your AI, your machine learning, which um, really pinpoints where you should look at which setups are the ones. Um, and that was sort of, for me, my original motivation to go into bioinformatics, to have something like this where you can really help all these many people with like one method that somehow does something good. Um, and when I saw how the story unfolded and that this actually was the way this paper would go and this project would go, actually I was very happy to also spend more time in it. What also made them happy was that their careful sifting of cells not only created a comprehensive atlas of cells and their features, but determined that eight specific features can be used to predict whether a patient will respond to therapy or should go straight for a potentially life-saving bone marrow transplant. So it's not a single feature that's, that's important in determining the response. One has to actually look at all these features in, 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 as a whole, in combination. And I think that was also a unique perspective we, f we could offer through this work, that uh, when you try to develop a biomarker for uh, you know, treatment response, it may not be so uh, informative to just pick one marker or one gene, but one has to actually think in a more holistic manner and, and use combinations of features. But while this aha moment was scientifically pleasing, turning it into a practical test that is easy to use in clinics became just that little bit more challenging. There's a lot of groundwork that needs to be done uh, because uh, doing biology and experiments is one thing, but then to have a robust test that can work in every laboratory and with high specificity and sensitivity is, requires a lot of optimization. And even though Florian has since moved on, he still draws a lot of satisfaction from this project. Because it really was one of those things where I felt for the first time that I did something which really turned out exactly to why I went to study bioinformatics. So um, that was really very nice. In fact, his contribution has become so legendary that when he returned to the Duke NUS campus for this interview, many lab members were keen to meet the man behind that beautiful data set. And sometimes I hear from Ryder here that, oh, someone looked at your data again and they found things uh, are nice the way you did it. I'm like, oh, that's very nice <laughs> to hear. So looking back, at the learning opportunities, the trust and the possible patient impact this work has, both agree that this was indeed the perfect collaboration. We all um, had trust on each other and learned from each other, right? So we had these weekly meetings 
where would we would have discussions on on clinical side, on the bioinformatics side, on the biology side. I think there was yeah. a lot of patience involved that um, nobody expected everyone else to know everything in the mm. first place. So there was enough time to introduce stuff, to explain things. Some of those weekly meetings actually felt more like, oh, you go to a lecture because you really, you know, someone really explains the details of this is how the disease works. Uh, or I would say, okay, this is how we really do the analysis mm. and explain oh, why we do things in this way, not in another way. Um, and people would appreciate this, like how uh, the reasoning works behind it so they can really follow up the decisions that have been made. We learned a lot from each other and, and I think it, it, it was a perfect collaboration. And that is all for this episode of Medicus the Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exploration of what drives not only impactful translational research discoveries but makes for the perfect collaboration. If you enjoyed this episode, you may also like our previous episode where three scientists share how art and music help them be more creative at work. And if you're curious about the latest scientific breakthroughs and trends and how they shape our lives, check out our magazine, the link to which you can find in our show notes. And of course, hit subscribe to never miss another episode. Thanks to our guests, Vaidehi Krishnan and Florian Schmidt. This podcast was produced and hosted by Nicole Lim for Medicus, a Duke NUS publication.